How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest today. I have Eric Kastelnik. 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 <laughs> all right. I'm not going to re-record this because I want you all to make fun of me with how bad I butchered it. It's <laughs> all right. Eric, I am truly, truly sorry. He's the CEO of Postal, a sales and marketing engagement platform that generates leads as over 600 B2B customers. You can't see me live on the video. I am wearing the Postal shirt right now because I believe in the product. I bought it myself and I use it. Um, Eric's done a lot of really cool things in the past. He's had three favorable exits. He was one of the top inventors in the Silicon Valley Valley Business Journal. Uh, And then has also basically sold and scaled companies to the likes of Twitter, Vista Equity, and Workday that he's built and created. Eric, welcome. Happy to have you on the show. Thank you, Ryan. How's it going, bud? It was kind of a shit show of an introduction, so I apologize for that. Um, maybe I'm a little thrown off because you, you're rocking the dog. We got Rosie on the show with us too. If you're watching on video, Look she's a lap dog. She's she's our office dog here, therapy dog, all the things. So <laughs> she'll be joining me today. <laughs> she's just chill. All right, Eric. So before we get too deep in everything, why don't we do a real quick revenue rundown so everybody has an understanding of where you're at in the journey? So where is Postal.io in terms of your ARR? Yeah, so we, um, I'll, I'll give you the, the, the politics answer uh, and there dance around the, the question. Um, so the, uh, we started about three years ago. Um, we came into market in May of 2020. So right in the heat of COVID happened to help us out because everybody's marketing closet was locked up. So we actually were able to see pretty strong growth within our first year in market and then you know, the second uh, year, which we're in now, uh, second and third year now, uh, we've uh, been able to attract about 600 customers. We're north of 10 million in revenue. Uh, we've been able to raise about $35 million in capital and uh, as well as debt. And we've got about uh, 100 employees plus and having a lot of fun doing it. That's awesome, man. I mean, congrats on, to you for the, the tremendous growth you've had already. What would you say is your primary go-to-market engine for, for revenue growth? Yeah, I mean, I think that there, there's a few things that are super important to understand um, in today's marketing strategy. And that and everybody talks about omni-channel, but I think you really have to understand community um, and networking and especially kind of depending upon your, your strategy, are you going to be in an SMB business, mid-market business, or enterprise business? And for us... You know, we started off trying to be in in the SMB space um, and found that that market uh, was pretty much commanded by all the vendors, direct vendors and SWAT companies. So those that were kind of more sophisticated buyers and more uh, sophisticated marketers, they all um, tend to be in the mid-market enterprise. So we were pulled up into the mid-market enterprise. And with that, you know, there's just a lot of outbound strategy that you have to, to set up. So our number one lead source is our outbound channel uh, through our SDR platform uh, or SDR team uh, organization. And uh, with that, we use obviously all demand gen uh, standard practices like paid advertising through Sixth Sense. We use a lot of intent data from that uh, organization as well. And then, you know, of course, we have omni-channel marketing set up through uh, HubSpot and uh, leverage 
phone, email, and the offline and postal. So we can't really point to you know one single source of of lead generation or opportunity creation. Um, but we like to say that you know we've got a healthy mix of of all the strategy, and ultimately that's what you have to do when you're building an enterprise first organization. Exactly, ma'am. Well, let's let's drop right into to what your solution does and then who it serves. You started to touch upon it. So can you ex- extrapolate on that a little bit more so everybody has some context in terms of just what exactly Postal does and, and how it works? Yeah. So we just re- recently went through a rebrand um, that I hope everybody was able to interact with. Um, we bought Postal.com <laughs> and moved up market and dropped the IO. So we're all grown up now. Um, you can you can see some of our old branding behind us and, and on Ryan's shirt. But um, when you when you think about um, the the overall strategy of the offline channel, you know there there really isn't um, a lot of businesses out there that are focusing on uh, creating offline engagement uh, in the same way that you create digital engagement. So when we first ideate started ideating on the business, we found that a lot of competitors out there were looking at this from very much the stuff perspective. So, you know, thinking about the actual creation of the con- of, of the content, meaning the assets, you know, the, the swag pieces or, you know, gifting or direct mail pieces, um, and then kind of backing into the technology. We wanted to be a technology first company and ultimately, you know, build the, the systems and processes and integrate with the existing systems of, of action and record that would allow companies to scale this channel just like they have digital. So that's very much what we've done. Um, Postal has uh, four different products. We've got Engage, which is uh, essentially integrated into your sales and marketing uh, tech stack that allows you to systemize uh, the sending of offline uh, pieces. Um, it also allows you to create you know, bespoke moments and moments that matter through sending things from our vendor network, which we've got 7,000 SKUs from our vendor network that's offered on Postal. And then we've got Brand, uh, which is um, essentially the B2B for uh, of Shopify you know, for us, right? For, for, for B2B companies. So when you look at um, you know, what Shopify has done for B2C, um, we believe that uh, that building technology around helping companies um, create e-commerce and uh, touch points, you know, within engagement of customers and prospects and employees on storefronts is a very powerful thing, and that's what we've been able to build through brand. And then we've got ABM, which allows companies to create, uh, you know, intent streams and allows companies to um, automate the sending of, of offline engagement. Uh, based on intent data, and then we've also built a uh, an agency, an internal agency called Paper Plane. And Paper Plane allows for companies to come in and create all the the swag and you know all the branded things that that people want to create and put in the postal postal world. So uh, th- those are the offerings, and, and that's what we're doing. Love that, man. See, I, and you, you said like concentrate on the moments that matter, and I think that's. That's so critical because it's like you're saying, it's it's not about the stuff. It's almost about the love language of yeah. people receiving that and then creating uh, a moment of delight, I think, like integrated in just a normal business situation. At least that's how I look at it and the people that I've worked with. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's interesting um, that the, the, our category is sometimes referred to as get the gifting category. And it, and it makes me cringe because um, I, I think that that's not the best way to approach this category. It really is, you know, all this engagement that you're doing in the offline um, and gifting has, has a bit of a, you know, connotation of, of bribing or, you know, giving people things that maybe they don't want um, for, for us. It's all about how can you actually figure out 
the moments in a sales cycle or a marketing cycle or, or an employee cycle that can create uh, a tactile experience, something that they're going to remember. Um, and um, as we were talking about prior to the show, you know, I did a ton of work with neuromarketing scientists when we started the company to really understand what was the impact of a piece of fabric or paper or you know touch sensory comparatively to the digital experience, something on a flat screen. And I think all of us can can agree that you know we remember the last thing that was sent to us. We don't remember the last email or digital advertisement that we that we were able to receive. So you know we're really looking at systemizing that whole approach in the offline. And we think that there's a massive opportunity for this. Obviously, there's $300 billion being spent by companies out there in the United States. So um, we're attacking that market in this, in this way. It's pretty good, Tam. I would say $300 billion. We just need 1%. I'm just looking for 1%, baby. That's, uh, we're, we're in good shape. We're a public, public company with 1%, and we're working on that. <laughs> Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So... Real quick, I mean, and you touched upon this, and I know we geeked out on on the uh, the the neuromarketing side of it. I guess, like, if if you're looking at it um, based on your experience and all the research and work you've done, like, I guess at a one on one level, how does it work, right? At, at its core, basic, and then like, what would you say folks are hyper responsive to in the B two B space? Yeah, so it's it's all about. Uh, the when and the what. Okay. So what we found that is that when you have uh, campaigns that are independent from your overall marketing or sales strategy, that's an offline campaign. Let's just make it easy and let's call it that t-shirt that you have. If I were to take that t-shirt and print a thousand t-shirts and just send them all out in bulk and not have a systematic approach to this, not understanding like, did that person accept that thing? Did they did they receive that thing? Did that person who received that that T-shirt actually convert into an opportunity? That person have a, that have that T-shirt, you know, have an NPS uh, um, uh, score of greater than you know seven, and told five people about it. Well, if you just do it in a way that is very episodic, meaning just I do a one-time thing and let it go, just because I know he's going to love this T-shirt, and I can call him to see if he got the T-shirt. It doesn't work. Um, it's it's kind of like the old school way of, of email marketing. Um, so when you look at actual a t-shirt, you print these thousand t-shirts out, what we've now been able to do is systemize this approach, meaning that we can tie into Marketo, we can tie into Eloqua, and we can actually say, you know, when lead scores are hitting this amount or when this person hits this pricing page, they're going to get a t-shirt. And that t-shirt is going to be sent by the rep. And first, it's going to be a digital moment, meaning that they're going to open up a an email that says, hey, we want to send you this t-shirt. We collect their size, we collect their information. And then they get that notification of when it's being delivered. It's branded as our companies, um, as our clients. And then all that data becomes intent data. 
of of actual how is is this person progressing through the sales or marketing funnel? Um, and when you start approaching it this way, and then tying back all of that um, that activity that happens, you can start predicting when to send things. Just like some of the AI out there. Uh, that is is being produced for for um, sequences and and cadences. Um, so for sales reps and and you know for people that are you know doing the outbound side of things, uh, you want to make sure that you're focusing on you know maybe it's a, a higher value target. So these are the items that you want to send out. Maybe it's not this T-shirt. Maybe it's a bottle of scotch. Um, and maybe that bottle of scotch gets you a meeting with a C level more than it does with this T-shirt. So. We want to be able to start predicting, hey, these are the things that you should send. So with all of the you know, 100 million plus profiles we have in the background from our customers, we're actually starting to build ways of recommending what do people want, when do they want it, and ultimately where in the cycle of uh, the marketing and sales operation should you be sending these things. Okay. That's awesome. And and I didn't even think we we're going to go down this path, but I love it. So what what would you say then are the best, let's say pre-sale intent signals where you would want to send something? Yeah. So it really depends uh, on the interaction piece. So if we're talking about pre-sale, meaning that it's it's not an SQL yet. So we're going to just define it easily as, as the MQL is in the marketing land, SQL is in the sales land. Right. So if we're pre-sales, then the way marketing should be operating is that you have lead scoring set up and you have omni-channel marketing. So you have all of your your community, uh, social, you have your email, you have your blog, you have newsletters, you have advertisement, you have all these things. And all of those things are providing signal for you to say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to you know, up, up this game here. Um, and maybe I'm ready to move them into the next phase. Maybe they're in discovery and now they've got enough intent to move them to um, you know, setting up a meeting and, and, and moving them into the SQL, however you define your, your SQL going over sales. So we've actually found that there's kind of, there's two places depending upon the actual like so- size of business you're selling to. So Generally, when you're selling to SMB, um, incentive marketing is a lot. Is oftentimes what it's called is like a small gift card or a small offering to take a, a download or join us for a webinar. Or maybe you're, you know, you're, you have a carrot out there of of something bigger for them to attend something like a webinar or an in person event. And those things have always been done, right? So you're incentivizing people to take action. Generally, that can happen after someone has taken an action and they have some lead score. I mean, it's very early. But if it's a small offering, generally, you can get them to accept that thing and learn more Um, because they're not going to accept that thing, whatever it is, unless they're really interested. So it's almost like a key that you can unlock. Is there really something here that I can unlock to get them to the SQL land? Um, And that's what we find with Postal. If, if you're looking at the the, um, the mid market enterprise and you have a very strategy like a very strong ABM strategy in place, then you can even start with postal sometimes. So what we're what we're looking at on the marketing side is maybe marketing will start off their their ABM campaign with something that's bespoke, right? That that is extremely highly curated or of value, um, and we've like we've seen this with like steak dinners or going getting invited to pebble or you know something that is like very very unique oh yeah and we've seen that happen with with postal as well so i would say that that's kind of the components of like those are the the way that that we see that uh that people using the software and obviously using these moments but um 
I think we're still learning. I think we're still kind of early days because we never had this data of when and what and how much should we be spending throughout this. But I always challenge, sorry, I'm rambling, but I always challenge our marketers and our clients to say, hey, you're spending $15 cost per click. You should be looking at, if you have a budget of $10,000 for cost per click, you should be looking at $10,000 spent in postal and doing an A-B test on those two things. Because what we're seeing is that the conversion rate for offline engagement versus digital advertising is exponentially higher, like 3x higher. So we need to be looking at that way of, 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 of approaching um, you know, our, our pipeline conversion and our, and our outreach uh, with, with this offline category in a, in a strategic way. Okay. And that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a good breakdown that you had with um, segmentation based on deal size. What would you, I mean, like if you're looking at it, like if you wanted to leverage a solution like yours uh, or I mean, postal.com, not postal.io, I apologize for that. I wasn't aware of the, the big domain purchase. Um, but uh, what, I guess what would you say is the best, most effective use like as a qualified opportunity then? And then like after that, like a, an existing customer as well. Yeah, I, I think that, well, the meeting request. So we've integrated, so we've created our own tech, our, our own calendar tool inside of it for sales reps. So we integrate with Microsoft and Google. Um, so we have Postal Calendar. You also have Chili Piper and Calendly that are integrated into Postal as well. So you can actually be offering uh, things out to folks to take a meeting either before or after um, uh, the, the acceptance of that item. Um, so I would say that's that's number one. And I'd say number two is that when you have things that are stalled, when you have deals that are stalled or just going a little bit further than than they should, uh, we find that that you know, offering a, a moment through through Postal is obviously gonna gonna help people either qualify or in or out. If someone doesn't accept that item that you're sending, probably a bad sign, right? I would say that that intent probably of buying that is gonna go down. It should be a negative lead score. So, you know, when you think about setting this thing up correctly, which we've done here internally, and a lot of our mid-market enterprise clients have done this, is that they're really kind of figuring out based on all these things that are being sent, what's positive and what's negative. And and what's plus or minus on the lead scoring uh, and, and and how to use that. So, um, yeah, that's that's ultimately what, what we're seeing. Okay, makes sense, man. So I, I know we kind of jumped right into the the meat and potatoes of it. Yeah, uh, but you're doing some amazing things here. I mean, like to grow over, you know, to get to a Series B level and little over two and a half years. Or that was yeah, that was September of last year. So we were about 24 months. In less than 24 months in, um, and we went through two rounds. Yeah. Okay. So you got me curious now, what, w- what would you say is your single best strategy that you used to grow that fast uh, in the type of environment we're in right now? Yeah, of course, the environment now is a little bit different than September of last year. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're talking and it's, uh, what are we, August, no, sorry, October 12th. Uh, 2022. Um, so arguably, <laughs> probably one of the, the worst economic markets that we've had in the last 12 years, um, you know, post the big recession. So this is the thing that's really unique about where we're at right now is that the majority of people that are managing businesses right now have never experienced a recession at this scale or what we're about to go through. Uh, so 
I will say that if you are one of those that are that's an operator, you know, in leadership or the you know, a startup founder that is in their early 30s and have never gone through this type of recession, you have to make sure that you understand what happened in 2000 and 2001. Okay, those are the dates that you need to study. Don't study the recession of 2008, 2000, 2011. Study the recession that happened in 2000 and 2001 because it looks a hell of a lot more like that than it does uh, you know, in 2008. And so that's number one. Uh, so understand history, understand bubbles, understand valuations, understand what you need to do in order to make sure your business is in a good place to have longevity. Um, but that's just that's just foundational kind of structural uh, setup for your company to make sure you don't die on the way up. The I would say that the the second or third thing would be um, ensuring that you are hiring folks that aren't the ones that have really like reached the pinnacle of their career, right? So we've always had the sense, and all the businesses I've ever operated at known. We've already we've always found people that have this chip on their shoulder that want to prove something to somebody. And that's part of our interview process is that we talk to them. We ask them, what is the thing that drives you? What is the chip on your shoulder? What are you trying to prove? And if they don't have that, then they're not going to be a good fit for our system because everybody here is ultra competitive. So a point that maybe it's not necessarily healthy, but we try to make it as healthy as possible. And I'll, I'm speaking for myself now, you know, I, um, I, I find that working with athletes, with ex-athletes and folks that have, have competed at a high level, um, including myself, are, tend to be that type of person. Um, so I would, I would recommend finding people that, that have that, that chip. Uh, and then also I would, I would find, you know, people that are not like you. Technologists and founders do a, do a horrible job with stacking their their uh, executive staff with people that are like-minded, which is a really bad move. Uh, you have to find people to challenge you and you have to accept the fact that they're going to challenge you again. Like they're going to say, this is wrong. We're not going to do this. And you have to be okay with that. Um, if you're not, then it's going to be your ass, you know, in, in the, the hot seat with your investors about what you did or didn't do. Um, and I prefer not to be in that seat. I prefer to, <laughs> to grow and health, you know, grow healthily based on what the economic situation is. And uh, I think we've been able to achieve that. Well, that's, I mean, that's really strong advice. So, I mean, to summarize that, right, obviously understand history, hire, hire those that are highly competitive or have a chip on your soldier, ultra competitive, right? Um, and then also hire other people on your exact team that are not like you. So I think those are very strong strong recommendations, anything that you think is like super critical in terms of shifting your messaging or your strategy in light of, you know, kind of a down market in terms of how to approach things? Is there anything that you see work, working particularly well? Yeah. So, um, so product market fit is an interesting thing. Um, when we look at product market fit in uh, in bull markets, and let's just focus on, on on technology and SaaS businesses. When you look at this structure of we're going to grow as fast as we can, we're going to raise as much money with the highest valuation, and we're just going to growth hack this thing. We're going to get people in here using this this product. We're going to you know play all of the the growth hacking games of 
you know, getting people in to use the product. And then when the recession hits, you really don't know if you're going to have that same product market fit that you had before. It's really easy to, to kind of fake a product market fit by selling to technologists, tech, technology companies, because we're all buying it from each other. So the rubber hits the road at this point now. And those that can grow through this period now have true market fit, product, product market fit. And so I encourage everybody to take a hard look at product market fit and your segmentation that you're going after, because you might have to give up your current strategy in order to live. And we had to give up our SMB strategy to live. And that was costing us a lot of money. Like we thought it was going to be there. It wasn't. So we inherently had to move forward with our enterprise and mid-market strategy and our, our global strategy now you know, to service those customers that where we had a true, true product market fit. So every company is going through this right now. You're going to feel it. And if you start seeing those deal times, time to close increase, you start seeing those, uh, those, those win rates decrease, then it's time to, to make adjustments within either your product or within your, your go-to-market strategy. Yeah, that's good advice. I, I literally just wrote a post on that because it was it was highlighted. I think Bloomberg highlighted it that in earnings calls, longer sales cycle times was mentioned like 52 times in the last quarter alone, which is like higher than it's been in like five years. So um, so yeah, really good insights to to definitely focus on and, and try and overcome. So let me ask you this: like, what would you say? You've done great to this point. Um, you navigated through some unique waters, found product market fit. What what would you say is your single biggest challenge with growing right now that you're running into? You know, I think capital is 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 a tough thing right now. Um, not necessarily access to capital, but just the overall structure of venture capital uh, for for businesses that are in between an A and a B round, or even a, even looking at a C. I think you know if you look at some of the data that that um, that some of the venture capital firms has been putting out, and some of the uh, uh, the investment banking uh, organizations, you're starting to see that that Series C uh, capital is that's definitely dwindling right now. The access to that Series C capital is dwindling a bit. There's going to be a lot of money for seed and A, and I think B as well out there. Um, but for us, we had to structure this business in a way that it could be profitable. And if we needed to turn the profitability on. Um, so when you look at that strategy, you have to understand the levers that you can pull in order to get there. And for me, I love multiple revenue businesses. So Postal has you know, two sources of revenue and a third potential source of revenue. We have our, our subscription revenue and we have our GMV revenue. So it looks a lot like Shopify uh, when you look at the, the structure of the business. Uh, we don't mark up our GMV revenue, meaning the stuff that people buy through our, our vendors. We're a distribution channel for those vendors. So we take a, a percentage from those vendors and they're more than happy to give us those, that percentage. When you look at companies like Bill.com, you know, Bill.com has created a processor. Shopify as well as, has done that. But if you look at Bill.com, you look at some of these other uh, financial services, Brex as well, they've created this processor that drives incredible value uh, and incredible amounts of revenue. So that's kind of our next play on that side of things. Um, the, the reason why we did that was to prepare us for a time like this to where we could you know, pull a lever and say, okay, we need to focus on GMV now. Okay, how can we do that? Well, we created an agency. 
So that agency now is able to go out there and take capital from all the people that are already spending this, do it in a way that's more structured and, and allows you to now have access to a sending platform like Postal. And that system now creates more revenue and more opportunity and gets us into a profitability situation. So we're basically, we raised some debt, um, some venture debt, which there's a lot of venture debt opportunity right there right now, which I would encourage folks to look at. Um, but that debt allows us to get into a place to where we think we're going to be profitable in the next you know, 18 months. That's a lot easier way. There's a lot easier way to raise capital when you don't need it. Um, so that is, that's kind of my, my philosophy on, on businesses now. And luckily, you know, Postal was able to create that, that infrastructure in order to, to get us to a good place. Excellent, man. Well, smart move and having uh, some redundancy, I don't want to say redundancy, but just different revenue streams to kind of tap into. And it's a smart model. And I see a lot of highly, highly successful companies leveraging that. So I love that you're doing that. Um, I guess like we're, we're just about up on time. So before yeah. we wrap, a um, couple of things. One is like, where do you see the future of tech going over the next three years? So first off, I think there's going to be mass consolidation. I think everybody's talking about it right now. But these M&A investment bankers are going to be making a lot of cash. Um, if I were to put money somewhere, I would be starting a, an M&A company because ultimately we're going to see the access to capital decrease. There's going to be a lot of, of companies out there um, that are you know past their Series D or looking to potentially get into an IPO situation or a private equity situation. Um, and there's going to be a lot of private equity companies out there with funds to be able to consolidate. So I think we're going to see a, a large amount of consolidation. And I think it's great for, for the industry. We, ha- we haven't seen a tremendous amount of consolidation in the last 10 years. Um, everybody's gotten money. So I think it's good. I think we're going to kind of you know, figure out what are the really good businesses out there. Um, and that kind of rolls into number two is that you're going to find that um, who is the best operator? Who, who are the best operators in technology? Uh, and I think those best operators are going to be the ones that will have access to capital, will be access, have the ability to grow. But if there are any things in your business that are red flags, got to clean them up uh, because those are going to be surfacing even more as we move forward. Um, and I think number three, to go back to you know, our original discussion, product market fit and teams are, are going to be the, the key here. Um, if we can, if you have the best team, you have, to, you, have, you have great product market fit and a segment. It doesn't need to be a huge segment. It just needs to be a, a segment that you can kind of ride this wave uh, of recession through. Uh, I think those folks are going to be in really good shape. So if you're not, if you haven't done those three things and, and figured those things, those three things out, then I think you're going to be in trouble. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of, of wealth that potentially is going to be lost. Because uh, all of us are trying to create generational wealth. That's what we're trying to do as founders. Generational wealth, not only for ourselves, but for you know, those who are, are part of our organization. So um, that's what I continue to do. And, and those, are, those are things I think about. Yeah, man. It's, I mean, it's good. You're, it's funny because you're the first CEO I've interviewed this year that's talked about mass consolidation. So they usually when I ask that question, most folks will hit on um, just technical advancements right? Or other areas. So really interesting call out there and um, appreciate your perspective, man. It was awesome having you on the show. You are the uh, first guest ever that I've actually worn their company t-shirt on while I broadcast the show. So. <laughs> it's, well, it, 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 it looks good on you, man. I know it's media, but uh, it looks good. I, I yeah. It. I mean, you guys can make fun of me, light me up on social. It does look like I am wearing a schmedium right now because it's very, very tight. 
but that's okay. That that that's my my commitment runs that deep, right? So um, okay. so, anyways, Eric, where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Postal? And then we'll wrap things up. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, fairly active. Happy to to reach. I I try to respond to all LinkedIn messages that are sent, um, even if it doesn't make sense for our business. I'll let you know that it's just not a priority. Um, if it is a priority, I'll make sure to to get you to the right place. We're happy to to speak with you on on, on different things that if it is on my list. Um, and then postal.com is the new site. Go take a look at it. Um, see if we can help you out on on the offline strategy side of things. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for having you on the show or being on the show. I should say it's been a blast and we'll see y'all in the next episode. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you for checking out the scale up show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.